0: dwells here. and then we're moving by the pack so we moving them and even if you don't then you do because you cool with them they be like I only went to school with them Let's get it.
1: three two one welcome to color correction JesusZ podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl an Asian guy and uh, a white guy too uh, most of the time Uh <laughs> my name I <laughs> I'm Andrew. I use he him pronouns. I'm Asian
0: and my name's Bethany. I use she her pronouns and I'm black Uh,
1: And we don't have Chris today. Uh, Chris is uh, Chris is away today um, But instead we do have our friend Danny Um, Danny, do you want to introduce yourself and let us know? um, what your pronouns and how you identify?
2: Yeah, so I'm Danny Morrisberger and My pronouns are she her and I am a disabled woman
1: Awesome. That's um, the fact that Danny is, uh identifies as a disabled person is uh, the reason that we want her here today, and we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, but we'd like to start off our podcast by talking about stuff that we want to mention or want to bring up from last time or from previous episodes. Um.
0: Yeah, so during our Juneteenth episode, I think I kept on referring to our wealth redistribution campaign as reparations. And I wanted to just distinguish that this is not reparations, that this is an act that our church is um, endeavoring upon to do wealth redistribution, and it is a step towards reparations, but it isn't reparations. So I just wanted to make that distinction. I also wanted to give us a, well, actually, Andrew, a specific compliment from my mom from the Juneteenth episode. So after the episode, my mom called me the next morning and says, did that Andrew smile And I said, yes, he did smile, Mom. I tell you, Andrew does smile. Okay. So I took a screenshot of you smiling and laughing at something and sent it to my mom. And her response was, oh, that Andrew. He's very handsome. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So Andrew, my mom mom thinks
0: that you're very handsome because of that episode
1: that is a high compliment uh i i'm very flattered by that (laughs) i i yeah i'm very flattered by that this is the podcast so most of the time people aren't seeing my face and i don't have to smile which is good because i i'm not really a smiley person no Uh, but thank you best mom she's also probably one of my favorite people that follow our follow us on instagram Just because of her comments and stuff.
0: She follows Uh, me like a mom would follow us on Instagram. You know, it's It's like, where's this at? Or that's sober (laughs) Andrew. He's not smiling. He, he, he. Mm -hmm. Her comments are hilarious.
1: Yeah, they're amazing. Um, Yeah, specifically about your your point about um, reparations and this project that we're doing, which is, yeah, again, a step toward reparations. Someone pointed out to me that... uh, that the UN has a formal definition of reparations, which has several categories, of which monetary damages are just one category.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's an essential part of reparations when we're talking about repairing uh, a people or, or, um, or, or a group of people whose rights have been harmed, mm-hmm. where it's not just monetary damages, but it's also um, giving them rehabilitative services, uh, guaranteeing that what has happened will never happen again with like systemic changes um so i think it it it's good to keep in mind that like when we make these steps toward restitution toward reparations like even the money itself is just like one piece of a bigger systemic like process this bigger thing that needs to happen yes um yeah so i i mean in that sense like the work that our team has been doing in terms of like guiding our church members or helping like white people for instance to self-examine um that that in itself is like part of the work of reparations i think it's like helpful to see it as like part of this holistic thing that does include money
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah um so uh last episode i guess on our um on our on our previous episode in that live episode we did have johnny on talking about cultivating that prophetic imagination by looking toward um, the end of all things, basically, the culmination of history, the eschaton, to use the theological term, this idea that that God will one day infuse reality with God's own substance and that Mm -hmm. everyone will know God in wholeness. And part of what Johnny, I think, was... Talking about was this idea of using our imaginations to think about God at one of during So our church like many churches has been meeting online during pandemic times Um, and honestly like That live chat has been pretty life-giving for me for most for a lot of the pandemic Mm -hmm. Like that has been my main point of connection with the church but one of the most interesting live chats that I witnessed Uh, It must have been a few months ago, um, was when somebody said something on the live chat, something about how they were referencing a book, uh, one of those little kid dies and visits heaven books. I don't Mm -hmm. remember which one. But she said that um, this person said that they were inspired by that book because one of the things in that book was that this kid went to heaven and saw that nobody had glasses was that it I don't remember it was something like that and then <laughs> Danny comes out real hard <laughs> with a lot of incredible theological points about like well you know that way of thinking about heaven that way of thinking about healing that way of thinking about bodies and disability speaks from a very specific privileged perspective
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and, and Danny you were you were you were saying all these things that really I had never thought about. Um, cause like Jesus does healing in the Bible and it's just like, oh, people were sick and now they're healed. And that's like the, that's the extent of, what, of most of what we think about yeah. it. Um, but there is actually a lot of deep substance in what you were talking about. So I, I, I do want to bring that up. Um, but can we, let's start out with this, Danny, can you tell us like, what's your entry point into this way of thinking? Like, why is it that you think about dis- disability or that? Why is it that you, well, this is a, I'm, I'm <laughs> brambling and phrasing this question poorly. Um, how do you know so much about this stuff?
2: So, <laughs> um, I think because it's my life. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, so I have been disabled for probably the last five years, but I've been sick my whole life. Um, and we just didn't mm. really know what was going on. Um And so growing up in the church, I don't know. I felt like I never fully belonged because my experiences weren't what everybody else's experiences were. Um, And in in the last couple of years, becoming basically homebound, like I I can't go anywhere unless my husband can bring me. I can't drive legally anymore. Um, And just losing community, you know, so... One thing about Circle and about the pandemic in general that I've appreciated is that it brought everybody online. Um, so I've been in community online for the last couple of years because I haven't had access to any community that's not online. And so Circle going online meant I could go back to church again. Um, and just in that time, you know, I, I listened to a lot of different disabled voices um, and the things that they say and I um, one thing that I came across was the the social model of disability versus the medical model of disability. Um, and the medical mm-hmm. model of disability focuses specifically on the sick person and trying to make them better. Um, and the reality is most of us like there's not, maybe not most of us, but there's not healing for everybody. Um, like, my condition is a genetic disorder. No amount of, you know, medical intervention is going to rewrite my genes. So mm-hmm. going over to the social model of disability, it talks a lot more about, it's not necessarily your body that's disabling you. It's the way that, Society and the culture makes it so you can't access things. So like we were talking about glasses and vision and that woman saying in heaven there aren't any people wearing glasses. In America today, mm-hmm. vision impairment isn't generally seen as a disability because you can put on glasses or contacts unless you're like fully blind. And there are a few conditions that um, glasses and contacts don't help. Um, but in general, being vision impaired is no longer a disability. And why is that the case? It's because Mm -hmm. there are enough supports in society to provide for the needs of the visually impaired. Um, and so Mm -hmm. if we think about, you know, like what improves quality of life for these people and what things we can make accessible, that really starts to change the conversation about you know, what what disability means. And that started to also change Mm -hmm. my understanding about the healings in scripture and disability theology. Um, And realizing, like, Jesus, I don't think he healed these people because he just saw that there was something wrong with their body. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he healed people because he knew that in that day and age and in that culture, there was no way to reconcile these people to their communities and bring them back into community unless they were healed. Because being sick was mm-hmm. seen as unclean. And you weren't allowed in the temple. Right. You weren't allowed to go to worship. You weren't allowed to be around other people. Um, and so nearly every healing that he does, there is this restoration of not just the body, but to the community.
1: Yeah. I'm interested in what you were saying earlier about how you felt like you didn't belong because your experiences weren't what other people's experiences were.
2: Yeah. So the first time that I got really sick, I was 12. um, I had a brain malformation and my neurosurgeon told my parents, if I didn't have surgery, I would be dead in probably under two years. Um, and there was nobody else around me, nobody else in my life, nobody else in the community, anywhere locally that I knew of who had that condition or had that experience. Um, and a lot of people seem to think that if you pray enough or have enough faith that, those bad things won't happen to you. Mm -hmm. Um, not that before my surgery, anybody in the church, like overtly said those things, like Mm -hmm. they were supportive to my family and they prayed for me. Um, you know, just, I think normal kind of churchy things to do. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's almost always been like this kind of undertone after my surgery where, um, like I didn't, I got better. I didn't die. (laughs) So there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wasn't ever really normal either, and trying to grapple with, like, I didn't know what was going on in my body. I was always tired, and I had all of this pain that other people didn't really seem to be experiencing. And a lot of it was kind of put off in in every circumstance, not just in the church, as, like, a mental illness type of thing, or I just, like, wasn't resilient, or, you know, just kind of in general, there must be some fault of mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your character. Right. That is making Mm -hmm. that be the case. Um, And then just like growing up, there were other instances in the church. um, Like as an adult, um, I miscarried my first pregnancy. And um, that was another thing that was just kind of like, I, I didn't have enough faith or something. It it was a really strange, like, kind of undertone yeah. that I didn't really know how to, like, work through. And um everything, everything kind of felt like, but, you know, like, almost like that dog whistle kind mm-hmm. of, like, language where it's, like, it's there and they're saying something to you. But they're saying it in a nice way. So right, yeah. you can't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Here's what I can relate to. The experience of thinking that something is wrong with you uh, and then later, I, I think as, as minorities or as persons of color, I think we can relate to that because um, it, in the sense that we don't, um, we, we, we rub up against the ways that society is not designed for us. Mm-hmm. And then we internalize that by thinking that the problem is us. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that and we need to be saved from our right. disability or we need to be saved from our color,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I can imagine that even the church itself can be really bad at that because yeah. it's it's funny how often Jesus runs us into this experience where people assume that someone is uh, is impaired because they are because they did something wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then Jesus is like, that's the complete wrong way to look at it. Um, but despite the fact that Jesus does that over and over again, we still in today's society and especially like I grew up as like a in like Pentecostal circles. So like yeah. if you were sick in a weird way, it was like kinda your fault because you didn't have yeah. enough faith. That was the implication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so I can yeah. imagine yeah, I can imagine that being being difficult, being surrounded by that. I'm do you remember what it was like to reorient yourself?
2: Yeah. It's only been really recent that that has happened. Um, You know, you start to see injustices, and then I don't know, like your whole mindset changes. Um, But for me, like one thing that I learned really recently is that the ADA, the American Disabilities Act, doesn't apply to churches because churches rallied for it to not apply because they didn't, they felt like having ramps and having accessible buildings would take away from the aesthetic of their churches. So literally they're saying, yeah, literally they're saying it's more important for us to have a beautiful building than it is for disabled people to be able to engage in our community and potentially enter into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Jesus who's like commending a group of men for literally digging a hole through the ceiling to lower a disabled man, to bring him into mm-hmm. Jesus's presence.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I think just like, I got mad.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: to, to not be valued mm-hmm. more than a building, more than mm-hmm. property, um, which I think is something that you guys can probably relate to as well. Mm-hmm. um. And and to even have that extend to our souls. <laughs> like I just, yeah, I think anger can be a really good catalyst to learn more and kind of dig your heels in and say, mm-hmm. like, this is wrong, and and we're gonna do something about yeah. it.
1: And what a great reference! That specifically that story in uh in Luke chapter five, where Jesus is teaching, and then some people just they're trying to get their friend in front of Jesus, so they bust up the roof and lower him through the roof, um. Yeah. And Jesus commends them for this, but also like the first thing he does is he doesn't even address like the physical aspect of this person. He he says your sins are forgiven, um, and which and is that's one of I the only kind of times
2: interest- that he says that mm-hmm. in regard to a healing too, which I th- find interesting.
1: Huh? What's the significance of that for you?
2: I'm not really sure. I'm not really <laughs> okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. That part of it, like. It makes me feel just a little bit wonky because I don't like that there's a connotation Mm -hmm. of disability being related to sin. But Mm -hmm. in most of the other stories, that's not the case at all. And it's just like he didn't do anything wrong. His parents didn't do anything wrong. Maybe he's Mm -hmm. this way so I can show you that I can heal him and let's do it.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, your analogy of the fact that like Jesus is proud of these people for destroying a roof. And meanwhile, churches are like a ramp, a ramp is too much. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah I, I I totally understand like that. That would be infuriating. It it is. Uh,
0: Danny, I'm interested in hearing as you're talking. You have so much fight in you for this for this faith and to reconcile your context with our faith. What helps you keep this fight? Because I feel like I would be really angry with God. Mm. You know, I am
2: honestly not sure. Um, and there are days that Mm. like, I don't even know if I believe everything about Christianity anymore. Like there are days where I'm like, I don't know if Jesus was the son of God. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think this is the context that I grew up in. And so when I relate to God, even in the moments where I'm unsure, it's always Jesus who I go back and talk to. Um, Mm. and We know that the church has massive influence in this country. Um, White evangelicals specifically have a lot of power. And so if we're going to make the world better for everyone, at least in America, the way that we can have the most influence is to tell our stories to the white evangelicals who have the power with their votes Mm -hmm. And it's annoying and it's unfortunate and it makes me angry that that is even what you have to do because I feel like that is like, in a lot of situations, you have to go back into an abusive environment
0: in order to teach people to not abuse you. It's the people most affected that have to do the most work. Yeah,
2: And so I think that just knowing where the power lies and knowing what... I want to see the future look like is where the fire comes from like I don't want my kids to grow up and experience the same things that I did I don't want Bethany's kids and Andrew's kids growing up and experiencing racism in the same way that you guys have like it's
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I guess just like the fight is for the future
1: I'm thinking about what we're talking about in terms of Access and how certain things are built into society and culture so that certain people can't access them um, Danny you're not even geographically. Where are you geographically?
2: I am in southern Maryland uh-huh. Yeah, so I started going to circle in 2015 2016 and then my husband joined the military and we got moved um, And so we were in Virginia and now we're we're in Maryland.
1: Yeah, this whole pan the pandemic situation the pandemic situation I don't even know what, I still don't even know what to call it the pandemic in general has been so has been such a bizarre reorientation, um mm-hmm. and one of the ways that I think it's been a bizarre reorientation is that it's made certain people visible that were kind of invisible before yes. in our community like people mm-hmm. that w- were were not able to show up in certain ways or had got had 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 gone away or um you know
0: particularly people who have gone away because of disability too i think Mm -hmm. there are some people who uh moved away and were disconnected from our community but i feel like we've really been able to see people who were disconnected because our buildings were inaccessible yeah Yeah.
2: and now they're all accessible i think there's one where there's not an elevator to get upstairs um for childcare, but that is the only inaccessible place Mm -hmm. now
1: yeah. In a weird way the the pandemic and our reorientation was kind of kind of leveled things out a, a bit. Yeah. Um and mm-hmm. and I'm becoming aware of that I am I'm a disability attorney. Um in the in that I represent people who uh are applying for social security disability yeah. and um and I like the work a lot, uh because I Get to help people accomplish what they want to accomplish and be more self sufficient and get money that they are entitled to yeah. but despite the fact that like I'm consistently around people who are navigating uh, a disability um and are talking to me about like how they get through their days and the things that need they, they uh need help with and the things that like the things they need to do in order to navigate the world um it wasn't until the pandemic that i was like oh this is what it's kind of yeah like. this is what it's like a, a taste of what it's yep. like you know yeah like they've all been getting their groceries delivered forever yeah. but now like i know what it's like to well, get my groceries and like, delivered. that was
2: a huge mm-hmm. problem at the beginning of the pandemic too is we had all of these mm-hmm. able-bodied people who were using mm-hmm. those services And there wasn't enough people to keep up with that. So you literally had people who had been using those services for years who were unable to get food and who were going hungry because able-bodied people were using the services that were meant for them, which is another thing Mm -hmm, that people mm -hmm. really don't think about. And it's just like we we didn't get groceries delivered because I'm able to physically go into a building. As long as Jordan brings me there, I can get in. I'm okay in a mask. And so we still went in person because I didn't want people who couldn't be getting into the stores at all to, to lose their ability to access that service.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, you're, you're right,
2: Andrew. And there's so many other things that, like, just community having to be online is a really disabled thing. <laughs> um, and everybody mm-hmm. was doing it. Um, and it was interesting, too, and a little bit challenging to see all of these able-bodied people come into our kind of way of community and devalue it, um, like and and this—that's
1: so interesting. What do you mean by so that? So,
2: at the beginning of the pandemic, or when I started um, attending circle online again, something that was said really regularly was, "You know, I miss real community. This isn't real." Mm. Um, This doesn't feel like, like how can God kind of work through this? How can people connect through this? Um, Mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of, kind of pissing on (laughs) the way that we have to do life and, and to have friends like my best friends. I talk Mm -hmm. to every day, all day. I've never met them in person. One lives in California, the other lives in Boston and, and, you know, we've, together been able to create these platforms on social media with, um, advocacy groups that have thousands of people all over the world, um, and educate them in certain conditions like, um, cranial cervical instability and tethered cord, occult tethered cord and Chiari and, um, myalgic encephalomyelitis. Um, that's a really big mouthful, but so, Mm -hmm. We literally changed the world without ever meeting in person. We have brought physicians into the fold and we talk to them on a regular basis and we've connected them with each other and we're changing patient care. Um, And to know all of these things that we've been able to do and how real those results are, but then to have our way of doing it, like, just shat on. It didn't feel good, you know? (laughs) Um, and so, yeah. like part of part of why I'm so outspoken with Circle was that the first reintroduction I had was super ableist and just feeling the need to like, I want to be part of this community, and these are people that I love, but I need it to be safe for me, and I need it to be safe for my kids. Wow, yeah. mm-hmm. So I need to teach them how to be safe.
0: I feel like I was one of those people that always shit on meeting oh, online, yeah. I was yeah. For sure. And it's, it's so interesting to me to hear you say that because I didn't think twice about that, right? Like, I wonder what it looks like for people to really have that lens, right? Like I'm able, I'm able to have an anti-racist lens because I feel the results of oppression, but I feel such a tension sometimes when talking with you because I miss the mark so much yeah, And I'm like, I, I thought I had it. Like, how, this is how white women feel, you know? Like, <laughs>
2: right.
0: like damn, right. I didn't realize I was missing it that much. And, you know, you're so right I, to an extent.
2: Like, I think white women who aren't disabled, you have it on the nose. And then, like, I also have to think and check myself because there is, like, like, black disabled women have it way worse than I do. And that's something mm. that I need to... Be aware of and make sure that in my advocacy, I'm not pushing them out because Mm -hmm. it's really common. You see the only the only people that white disabled women have power over are black disabled women. And so Mm -hmm. making sure or indigenous disabled women as well. Um, So making sure that I'm not using my power to put these other people down who need more advocacy than I do. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think you have been really helpful in, in shaping my thoughts on that and making sure when I'm advocating, it's not just for me.
1: But I totally agree with what you're saying, Beth, because I feel like I'm also constantly thinking about things from, uh, you know, from the lens of racism and anti-racism just because of, because that's my experience, but, Mm um, there are other ways that supremacy exists in our society. and one of the big ways is 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 the is the supremacy of, of the of able bodied people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean our entire
2: how, country is built on capitalism. If you mm-hmm. can't work you have no value.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's also, I think, why we're shitty to old people yep. and si- shitty to children oh gosh, up yeah. until recently because they can't produce anything. Yep. A friend of mine pointed that out to me recently.
2: Yep, 100%. And, like, all of these things connect.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Ableism is used as a tool in white supremacy. in Absolutely. In um, environmental injustice, in psychological injustice, and in trauma, like... We have higher rates of disabled Black people because of capitalism, because of racism, and then we hurt them further with the ableism when they become disabled. Mm-hmm. Like over half of the people in prison are disabled.
0: Wow, I didn't realize. Yeah, that.
2: most of it is mental illness. Instead of having services for people who are mentally ill and homeless or drug addicts, um, you know, we put them in prison. So they're misrepresented, overrepresented in prison. And um, then you also have like in police brutality, racism plus ableism kills more black people than anything else because yep, you look at a black person who's considered a threat by police and then you add into that a disability, maybe they can't hear, so they can't follow an order that you're giving them because they're not hearing you give the order. Mm -hmm. I know of people Mm -hmm. who have been deaf, who have been murdered by police because they weren't complying. People who are blind might not know where they're supposed to be going. Somebody who has an intellectual disability or is in a mental health crisis, they might look like they're behaving erratically and unpredictably and like they're dangerous, but you are far more likely to be harmed by somebody else when you're in a mental health crisis than you are to harm somebody. And I was like watching that video earlier this year of the shooting in Philly of
0: that... um, Walter Wallace. He was killed by the police in a mental health crisis. Yeah. 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 And his family was right there. Yeah,
2: I was just watching that video and Mm -hmm. like knowing I, I just... It makes me emotional to think about yeah. and just he didn't look dangerous to me. And I know so many people were saying, like, afterwards, just awful things, and like, oh, he had that coming, he must have deserved it. Look how scary that was. I just saw a man trying to get away from his friend who was pulling his arm and he was like unsure of what was going on. And and I know that there have been moments where I have done the same thing because my brain isn't functioning right because I have so much um, neurological injury from these medical conditions. And mm. just like it's so it's so unfair and un-okay that people who are mentally ill and disabled are just culturally um, made out to be dangerous are monsters.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. One of the things that I'm that I'm thinking about I'm 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 very aware of my lack of imagination when it comes to the human body and what people are what people go through and what what people are capable of. Um and I'm realizing that like this is really despite like my profession like th- the lived experience of this isn't like isn't something that I've thought a lot about um like intimately. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny cuz like one of my uh like a friend of mine back in uh in, I guess a few months ago when the vac- started when the vaccine started coming out was like basically telling me that he didn't think it was a big deal to get uh to get the vaccine because um even if he got covid he wouldn't die was his argument. Was his kind of stupid macho argument. Yeah. Um and it made me realize how much of our thinking is basically like you're either alive or you're or you're just dead, you know. Mm-hmm. You're like you're either <laughs> at a hundred percent or you just don't exist. Yes,
2: I think at the beginning of COVID, that was such uh-huh. um, that was such a like misstep by the media and by medical professionals and scientists because long COVID that can happen after mm-hmm. any virus. People don't realize this, but ME CFS right. I mentioned earlier, myalgic encephalomyelitis. That is a condition that comes on after a virus. Generally, it's like herpes or oh, mono, really? something like that, um, Epstein-Barr. Um, and and it's exactly like long COVID. Like people are bed bound. I know people who haven't been able to get out of their bed for decades after getting a virus. And to only have <laughs> the like death being the outcome, like – it just totally mm-hmm. misses the mark, and I think did a lot of people dirty who just, like, otherwise would have been more careful, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's just, like, uh, I, and I feel like in 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 that gray kind of space of existence is where all of our experiences exist. Yeah. Um, like, Beth, you and I are always talking about, like, how white people, like, okay, how, how white people in general, like, only... Can perceive the white black binary, for instance. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there is an it, but it just similarly like people either think of themselves as being alive or dead. But there's an entire range of human experience, recovering mm-hmm. from pregnancy, oh, for yeah, instance, or being old, literally being old, <laughs> um, where like we just don't think about about these yeah. people because the supremacy mm-hmm. of ableism has taken over our brains so that the people mm-hmm. that exist on the margins don't even exist. Everybody
2: becomes disabled if you live long enough. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: totally, precisely. I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of my grandfather, who has always been like...
0: Yeah, you have I, yeah, like before. Who
1: has been like one of the most alive people I've ever known <laughs> and had a stroke a few years oh, ago. I'm sorry. And, I mean, he's still himself, but he is like a different expression of himself. Um, mm. And it's made me think like, yeah, at some point... I like, my grandfather and I are genetically related. Like, I may well, I may well have a stroke, yeah. and when, and after, if I, if I have a stroke, like, um, in what way am I going to be myself? In what way am I still going to be a human being in the image of God? Yeah. Because I will be, just like yeah. He mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is something significant to that, to the fact that like so much of human experience exists in like. This, this space between, like, 100% alive and, like, just 0% alive. It's, still like, that's not, I, even, like, using, I even, I, I, I'm i even, like, hesitant to use the, the, the phrase of aliveness. Because it's not like people, it's not like you're not alive. It's just, like, all we can think of are, are people who are, like, perfectly able-bodied. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I feel like that's because of the binaries that white supremacy creates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it acts like there's no gray. So that's, it does feel like a a accurate descriptor because we've designed a world that either you're right or you're wrong or you're alive or you're dead and everywhere in the middle is completely ignored. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how differently or disabled, what language do you use, um, Danny? I say differently abled sometimes.
2: Yeah, so that's a really great question. And most disabled people would not want to hear
0: that. Okay, that's so helpful.
2: Yeah, we identify as
0: disabled. Okay. Do you, do you want to share why differently able is not something that's, that's helpful language? You know,
2: I think it's just like a funky connotation. It kind of is like separate but equal almost, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not the case. Okay. Um, not, it wasn't the case then either. Mm-hmm. There are some disabled people who would be fine with you saying differently abled. Um, but the vast majority prefer disabled. And I think it's because it's more honest.
0: Mm. Yes. Okay. That it's, I was it's an thi-
2: acknowledgement of the lived experience.
0: Yeah. When you, When you said most disabled people would not want to hear that, For some reason, our first episode, our person of color episode immediately popped in my head of like people who don't have that experience think that that is the nice and like helpful language, but it's actually really annoying. So that's so helpful that you just said that to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where was I going with that? But yeah, I think it's that binary and that binary causes disabled people to be ignored because they don't fit into being dead or alive. Mm -hmm. So this is uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with this. So we're just going to act like um, disabled people don't exist. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I had another thought pop into my head on that same question. Um, Differently abled is Made for able-bodied comfort.
0: Mmm. Can you say more about that? So
2: it makes people who aren't disabled feel better about themselves and about disabled people to say differently abled as opposed to disabled.
0: Yes. I think that's absolutely right. I want to think that people are able yeah. because I'm able so yeah. but if I say that they're di- they're able in a different way, that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. As opposed to recognizing all the ways in which I contribute to an ableist society mm-hmm. that makes people who are disabled or when I when I feel like being nice, differently abled. Unable to access things. And yeah. then I feel like it has less of an impact of how ostracized or marginalized disabled people are exactly. if we're like, oh, no, they're just differently mm-hmm. able.
2: Yeah, exactly. It It's almost like an excuse to not act and to not yes. help make the world a more equitable
0: and accessible
2: place. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 It makes you feel less actionable if yep. you use the language differently able. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so helpful. Yeah.
1: Um, I want to turn it back around to uh, theology. <laughs> I, yeah. I, because I am curious about what do you think it is that you know about God uh, that able uh, that that not non disabled people might have a hard time accessing.
0: Can I reframe that question? Oh,
1: please do. Go ahead.
0: How does God specifically meet you in your context, in your body, in your experience? Mm -hmm. That's so good.
2: Yeah, those (laughs) are both great questions. So I'm going to start with Andrews. What do I think about God or what do I know about God? I know that God is good. And I think one thing that is different for somebody who is sick or oppressed or in pain or in grief that people who don't have those same experiences don't necessarily realize or like I think people say this but I don't think they know it know it if that makes sense but that God is with us
0: Mm -hmm.
2: like I don't think God does these awful things that cause us to be in these positions um, that are painful and hurtful. Um, but I think that when we are in pain and when we are hurtful, we're never alone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've i just always felt like this sense of comfort, um, mm-hmm. even as a little kid. Um, and I think there's like this kind of faith that is different um, because... Like I was, I was talking about this in the afterhang um, from our Sunday meeting. Um, just this past week, I think it's like when I went in for brain surgery the first time. You know, you don't know it's going to happen. There's so many different outcomes. You, I was kind of unaware of this at that young age. It was very much like binary. Either my thought was, I'm going to either wake up and I'm going to see my parents, or I'm going to wake up and I'm going to see God. And both of those options seemed pretty good to me. Um, And then, you know, as you get older, I've had four neurosurgeries now. And every time, every time you go in, it still is like, there's this letting go and this faith that you have to have both in God and in your surgeon um, to just keep you safe. Um, And You know, you never know, one, if you're going to wake up. And when you do wake up, you don't ever know what waking up is going to be like. Um, Like every time I've had surgery, my entire perception of myself has changed and my perception of the world has changed. And it's just like an incredibly vulnerable experience. Like you are naked on a table in a room full of strangers with knives and you let them (laughs) knock you unconscious and Cut you open and do these things in your body, you know, like it's it's a really intimate and um, just challenging thing, and so one that God is with me in that, and two, mm-hmm. there is just this faith and this recognition that we don't have control, um, and that God is in that too, and like I I think God knows that feeling, um, and. Yeah, yeah I, it's hard to quantify. It really is. Um, and then, Bethany, can you tell me your question again? It's out of my head.
0: Yeah. So I feel like it's really important for us to be met by God in our context, right? Like, for, for how does God meet Andrew as an Asian man? How do I meet God as a black right. woman? So my question is, how does God meet you in your context of being a disabled person? How does God specially, especially meet you in your experience? Yeah. In a way that I, as an able-bodied woman, just couldn't possibly be met by, by God.
2: I was gonna say, I think that we can all be met by God in kind of the same way. Um, oh, wow, but okay. also no, because I think that you're absolutely right, especially as, as a black person, and thinking of lynching and then Jesus being crucified, like that is something mm-hmm. that I I don't have in common um, and mm-hmm. in a way that I can see it, but I don't connect in that way of, you know, that mm-hmm. level of um, just understanding and fear and compassion and togetherness. Um, yeah. But I think like, One way that I feel comforted and and met by God is reminding or remembering that after Jesus was crucified and he was risen, he showed up to his disciples still having the scars in his hands and the Mm -hmm. hole in his side, Mm -hmm. and if he is God and can do all things he chose to be that way. And for a reason, Um, Mm -hmm. why would he desire to stay in this disabled body marked by pain and violence? Mm -hmm. There's something that is beautiful in that. And that I think connects Jesus and I, we both have scars all over. Um, And I find that comforting and Mm -hmm. Also, just in like another story that I find to be comforting is that Paul had prayed so many times for his eyes to be healed. And every time the answer was no. Um, And and that didn't make him less of an apostle, less of a follower of Jesus. It wasn't seen as something that was wrong with his faith. He had plenty of faith. Um, and I can just remember as a little kid, like really earnestly praying for healing and wanting that and never getting it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, there's something that I think is special about that too. And just like not being alone in your suffering and not being alone and kind of being misunderstood in that way. Um, And then the other thing that I was thinking was that when you have to depend on God literally just to keep breathing, that is something that really changes you and changes your faith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think there's a deepness in that that able-bodied people maybe don't understand.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um I, I had something as a complication of my brain malformation um, that's called sleep paralysis. Oh, yeah. I, I would wake up at night because I wasn't breathing, but I wouldn't be able to move. And I'd have to, like, try and stay really calm until I could wake my body up enough to be able to move into a position where I could breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like literally having to cling to God to stay calm and to work through that and hoping that you could take another breath mm-hmm. or, um, like there have been weeks of my life where I haven't been able to eat because every time I ate, I would throw up, mm-hmm. um, and how how do you sustain yourself? You can't. It's mm-hmm. just relying on, on God. And I feel like the areas or are, There have been so many moments in my life where I've just been, like, naked and crying in the shower and in pain. And I always picture Jesus being with me in those mm-hmm. moments.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: That is beautiful. Can we leave it there?
0: Yeah.
2: Hey, y'all. It's Tess Patino, your social media director here. I'm just reminding y'all that if you've enjoyed listening to us, help us reach more people. There are two really easy ways to do this. First, go ahead and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you could also go follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook, which is just at Color Correction Podcast. If you do that here, go ahead and interact with all of our posts and stories. Follows and interaction really help the algorithm boost our page to more people. If you don't understand the algorithm, that's okay. Just trust me. Interact with us, and that'll go a long way. Again, so go ahead and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Color Correction Podcast. Thanks, y'all.
1: Um, so we like to close out our podcast by talking about whatever we're into this week. Uh, Beth, do you want to kick us off?
0: Yes. So what I'm into is weird this week. I'm into my coworker, Jordan, who listens to the podcast and is no longer okay. my coworker. Um, he is starting a new job where he's from in Ohio, but he's been one of the best coworkers to have. Such an amazing um, kind of problem solver, just a really, really kind and dependable colleague and like I've been working since I was 17 and would always have like different co-workers float in and out and it was fine but for some reason this was the first time that I lost a co-worker and I actually teared up because
1: Aww.
0: he's beyond a co-worker he's just mm-hmm. a kind and sweet friend to have as well so Jordan if you're listening I will miss you and your girlfriend Sarah and Philly, but I wish you guys the best because, yeah, I know it's nothing but up here for y'all.
1: That is so nice. Wouldn't it be funny if he didn't listen to this? I'm gonna text him to make sure he <laughs> listens because then I'm just gonna <laughs> <Okay>. be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, normally, Chris is next. Um Danny, do you have something?
2: Um, yeah, sure. So I've been super into baking recently. ooh, fun. Like, really the whole last year. Um, But I love making macarons. And they're terrible. They're so hard to make. But when they come out perfect, it's like addictive. So Then you do it again. And then you're like, oh, shit, it didn't work this time. That was not cool. (laughs) And you're mad because you just wasted all this money on almond flour. But you have to do it again because... You messed it up, so now you need to do it right. But then when you do it right, you have to do it again because it's exciting and you want to see that you can do it again. It's a vicious cycle. It really is. (laughs) It's terrible.
1: That is incredible. Um, Have you been able to successfully make
2: them? Yes. Yes, lots of them.
1: right on. You should send us pictures so we can put them on the gram. I actually
2: have an Instagram page called Busk and Bake where I sing and I show you the things I bake, so you can find me there.
1: That's awesome, perfect, awesome, awesome, um, so the thing I'm into this week is um, I'm into s and b golden curry sauce mix uh, it is a curry sauce mix that comes in that it's a Japanese curry sauce mix that was a staple of my childhood, but uh I've I have been making a bunch of curry recently. I don't know, I just like it, it's really good, it's easy to make also like one packet of curry lasts me like like eight meals (laughs) it's 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 great i love Uh, curry yeah i can put it over rice put it over noodles B golden curry sauce is what i'm into (laughs) so um special thanks to luke bartolomeo who manages our website and also to tess patino our social media goddess uh joe mahoney is our audio engineer And uh, Jared Selby does our theme song.
0: And if you're interested in one of our episodes, you want to talk back to us about it, visit us on uh, colorcorrectionpodcast.com and drop us a line and let us know how you're doing your Jesus following and anti-racism work. And as always, stay black, Little Mermaid.
1: hey chris
3: hey how's it going
1: good how are you doing
3: i'm good you back from your vacation
1: yes yes i am it was great you're you're not away (laughs) out of town right now are you
3: i'm not um i have been a lot but not this weekend
1: so when we recorded the episode that people are about to listen to have just listened to i don't know where i'm gonna put this um they're not gonna they're not gonna hear you in it because you were away at that weekend, right?
3: I was helping
1: uh, Oh well, right, it was Janine's birthday I was at, party.
3: Yeah, it was in I was in town. It was Janine's birthday.
1: Right. I saw the pictures. Yeah. It looked incredible.
3: Oh yes. Um yeah, that was actually that was birthday part one. Uh-huh. And I I was I was unavailable for for reasons having to do with birthday part two.
1: Wow, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. that's a good reason though, um, but in any case, I guess this is why I wanted to call you because in the episode previous to this one, people will hear about the beginning of our step to yeah. reparations uh wealth redistribu june Juneteenth Juneteenth jubilee wealth redistribution thing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, do you wanna do you wanna run that name through one more time?
1: <laughs> I, I don't trust myself to get it the same way twice. <laughs> so but at this point we're nearing the end of it. But yeah. um yeah. you wanna tell us how it's going? Not too late. Not too late. If yeah. you're
3: if you're out there wanting to give us money it's not too late. But um we are doing well. Uh-huh. We set a goal of twenty thousand dollars. Um We've surpassed it. Um, but as as we speak today, um, we're at twenty seven thousand. There's still days left in the campaign. And we're at,
1: wait, wait a second. We're at twenty seven thousand right now. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've gone over. It's uh-huh. amazing. That is amazing. Um, and
3: we're just gonna we're just gonna go to three or thirty. We're just gonna keep going.
1: Okay. Uh yeah, I won't say that uh, I'll be completely honest with you. When we started this, I was like, oh, it'll plateau at like 5,000." <laughs> 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 and I have been wrong every step of the way. W- and I've I've never yeah. been happier to be wrong. It's just incredible. Um
3: yeah. Something it, is happening, yeah, within our community.
1: Mhm.
3: It's wild.
1: Yeah. Um, um, and
3: it's 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 fun for me because like the uh, all the funds come to me. Um, we have a, we have a little bit of a yeah. So like I, I see I see everything come in. It's it is it's a thrill.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they come to you, but they're not going to stay with you, obviously.
3: Oh no, no, I am not holding on to these.
1: Yeah, and how how are so. people donating if they want to donate?
3: So they can. Um, Venmo is, is the best way. So you can Venmo meet at Chris-Eden, E D E N, Garden of Eden.
1: Awesome. And our original intention was to do this as an internal project with the church um, being redistributed to Black Covenant members in our church. But of course, um, yeah. that that's not to say that people... Who um, are involved outside aren't welcome to help out. I mean, and if you Absolutely. do help out, you're part of the church too. You know. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, since you're not in this episode, do you want to tell us what you're into?
3: Yeah. So let's 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 um, track back to that birthday number one. The the photos you were talking about mm-hmm. were um, a block party that I put together at 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. Oh my gosh. Um, to surprise me. That's Janine. just
1: that's incredible. Um, Who can live that up to was that? Not Chris? her birthday. Uh-uh. <laughs> wow, that's I mean, what like, makes what it a do surprise. I do now
3: is the question. Y-
1: yeah, seriously.
3: <laughs> what does what do I do for the next birthday? Yeah. <laughs> um, the highlight of that was the six-piece band that came and played
1: oh um, on
3: our side of the street, which at 10 a.m. is the sunny side. That was the
1: whole mm-hmm. of
3: that hour of the day. Um,
1: wow, you planned it around the snack- sun.
3: Yeah, yeah, you got to in the summertime. Wow. Yeah. Um, snack Time Silly. hmm Great band. Um, high energy. Um, I mean, they have a they have a tuba player, and they, they play like, they'll, they'll, they'll play anything you throw at them. Um, mm-hmm. That morning was like all about the 80s tuba. Mm-hmm. A yeah,
1: drum. it looked amazing in the pictures
3: they're fantastic so like if you're in the Philly area looking for a uh, a good band to hire uh, who can really throw down and energize people at any hour of the day because again it was 10am yeah um, look no further than snack time Philly they're
1: great that is amazing awesome alright cool so I will drop this somewhere in the episode uh, thanks for doing this Chris
3: yeah absolutely um, are you going to Best Thing tonight
1: Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Oh, sweet. All right. I'll see you there.
3: Cool. See you there.
1: Nice. All right. I'll see you later.
3: All right. Bye, Andrew.
1: Bye.